0: Welcome to Stray Theater, Radio Boise's program for all things literary,
1: performative, and dramatic, going on right here in the Treasure Valley. Today on Stray Theater, we feature Cigarettes and Beer, The Neuralux Years from StoryFort 2017,
0: with Will Kirkman, Ambrose Richardson, Sean M. Lennon, and Elise Thorpe.
1: Enjoy. Mm -hmm. a
0: project. We have been working on it for months here, just trying to get it all together, getting these storytellers, um, I don't know, primed and ready to revisit the old days. Some weren't super comfortable with it and decided they didn't want to, and then these guys, and these, stepped up. So I'm just going to introduce Will Kirkman, who's going to come up here. Um, there'll be some images that from his days as Dr. Bingo back here, when he would take Polaroids at most of the events, many of them, there are dozens of them. So you'll see a bunch of those. He's gonna talk about being Dr. Bingo. So he's calling this event, or his storytelling, is kind of the fluffing of the crowd is how he put it. So, Will, come on up, kick this thing off.
2: For me, Bingo was not about Bingo. It was about talking to people like we are now. Um, kind of free form, not really comedy, just whatever popped into my head. And. Oh boy, was it fun. Just sort of tell you how it worked. Um, I would stand up there and tell my stories and then we would play a game of bingo. And after the game of bingo was over and we had a winner, they would get a prize and a shot. And the prizes, oh, the prizes, plastic toys from China, like handcuffs, bathtub submarines, pens with naked ladies on them. It was great. And once in a while, I would make my own prizes and bring them in. The important thing to remember was that I got paid a $50 tab every Monday night, which was great. I could buy drinks for friends, for myself, and that will become important later. Because, like all good things, They have to come to an end. And I was having a pretty good time in the winter of 99, doing bingo, buying drinks for friends, doing bingo, buying drinks for friends. And I thought, early January, I wonder what my tab is. And I asked the bartender, and she didn't come back for a long time, (laughs) (laughs) a really long time. And when she did, She just pushed a number over at me, (laughs) (laughs) and I thought, you know, a couple hundred bucks, we can handle that. No. (laughs) It was almost four figures. I've never had a tab before, you can tell, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, what am I going to do? And then I realized, I'll tell Alan, I'll trade the tab for a neon sign plus some expenses, of course. And he said, of course, because he's a man who's looking for a deal. (laughs) So I built him the neon sign that says Lounge, which is in terrible disrepair, by the way, and paid off my tab, and soon after quit doing bingo. (laughs) Thank you very much.
3: Right now I'm going to introduce the next... um speaker which is Ambrose. been walking around the last couple of days and taking in this whole tree fort thing and it's 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 pretty amazing Um, the energy is electric there's so much going on there's 25 foot gorillas there's people playing drums on the corners and it's just really neat and it's special Um, but I think to myself you know this is, this is not the town I grew up in. Things like this didn't happen. I grew up here, but it wasn't like this. Downtown was a wasteland. Uh, it felt like the abandoned buildings outnumbered the occupied ones. Radio was a vast wasteland too. Uh, one night a week, every Wednesday night, I'd listen to KBSU and I'd listen to Mutant Pop for four hours, four precious hours, where it was the only time you could hear punk rock on the radio. And that was my education. And that's how I learned about all the upcoming concerts. And I had missed all the legendary shows at the Brass Lamp, at Lampert Hall, at all the the makeshift venues that scattered up around town because there really wasn't any solid venue. And I missed all the legendary bands like State of Confusion and Septic Death and The Grind and all these seminal punk bands around. but. I started going to shows about 89, 90. And at that point, most of them were happening at the zoo. And the zoo, for those of you who weren't around then, um, it's now that uh, art glass studio that's right next to Woodland Empire Brewing Company. And uh, that's where I saw the Melvins and Nirvana for the first time before they were huge and Soundgarden and basically every touring act from the Northwest that was relevant, and some that weren't relevant either, but um, it was my musical education, and um, these shows were all put on by a guy named Alan Ireland. And I didn't know much about Alan. All I knew is that he was old, because he was like 30, and that was old. And he always wore a hat. I never saw him without a hat, and he had a ponytail, and he drove a little gray minivan, and That's really all I knew. He had a clothing store called Retrospect where you could buy tickets to his shows if you didn't want to walk around the corner to the record exchange and buy the tickets there. Or you could buy Doc Martens from him and then wear those to the shows that he put on. Um, In 1991, then Alan, he, uh, he had reopened the Crazy Horse. And the Crazy Horse was a venue that was... Kind of like it is now. Start again, stop again, start again, stop again. Somebody opens it, lasts for a little while, it closes. And it, it, it had hosted some shows over the years, like the Dead Kennedys played there in 1980-something. And, of course, I didn't go to that. I was too young. I was 10, probably. Um, but Alan started using that as his preferred venue. And there were shows there regularly, and I was at almost every one of them. For kids like me, there was nowhere else to go. That was our place to be. It was our home away from home. I even got picked up for curfew violation, leaving the crazy horse one time, a month before my 18th birthday. My dad was pissed. At the cops, not at me. In October of 93, Alan took the space that was next to Retrospect, and he turned that into a watering hole. He didn't have financial backers. He had a credit card. And by doing so, he filled a void. There was nothing like it then. There was nothing remotely close to it. There was no place for original bands to play. Um, It was largely decorated with thrift store finds because Alan would scour the thrift stores and the salvage yards. And that's what he decorated his bar with. It had a quirky charm. There was a stage that most of the bands I loved at the time would grace and the bar was well-stocked with all these stubbies. What else could you want? Uh, it was nestled on the outskirts of the downtown scene. And it quickly became the refuge for all the weirdos. And those are my people. I honestly believe that what Allen started at 111 North 11th uh, was the genesis of something bigger, that uh, you know, it, it gave a place for things to gel and grow. Um, I have a hard time believing that a lot of the other things would have happened if it hadn't started there. Uh, I walk around now, there's so many venues, there's so many bands, and there's live music in this town every night, and a lot of it's really, really, really good. And it wasn't like that then. Um, Thank you. And uh, next, we're going to have Sean Lennon who's going to come up and tell a story.
1: I moved to Boise in the summer of 1994 to play in a band born from the ashes of the tree people. I ended up staying for five very formative years in my 20s, and about 90% of that five years, I was drunk at the Neuralux. I remember having the sense that if I wasn't there, I'd miss out on some legendary happening that would be talked about for years, and I would rue my absence. It was a place where a lot of life was lived. I fell in love there. I got dumped there. My band sold out shows there. My band played to 10 people there. (laughs) I got to see and share the bill with many incredible bands, saw drag shows, fashion shows, literary readings. It was a bright light and a hub of underground culture in Boise, which at the time had scant choices in that arena and holds a special place in my heart. One particular story stands out to me as a pretty good barometer of the type of shenanigans we would get into. It was the 4th of July, my favorite holiday. What could be better? A warm summer night, grilled meat, and explosives. This year, we decide in order to really get the full effect of the fireworks, beer and weed ain't going to cut it. Mushrooms are required. So we down a pretty heroic dose before dusk, and as night falls over the north end, the effects take hold. We're higher than Carmen Miranda's hat. Jumping over volcanic spark fountains, shooting each other in the ass with bottle rockets and blowing up all the random detritus we can find in the side yard. We're like a pack of howling jackals raging under an exploding sky. Suddenly, like a bolt from the heavens, inspiration strikes. I'm not sure if it was PJ, Andy, John Paul, or me. But for some reason, it becomes imperative for us to rid ourselves of clothing don trash bags and head to the Nurlux thinking, this is complete genius. So we show up at the bar in our trash bags, wild-eyed, filthy from fireworks, and continue with our jazz odyssey. We're getting all kinds of bemused looks and comments from the peanut gallery. We realize, however, that one table full of patrons has a dark cloud overhead. And these guys are raining shade on us hard from across the room. Now, back at that time, there was a group of hep cats that used to hang at the bar who liked to affect an anachronistic take on 50s culture. Guys who six months earlier were your average ole patch on the gas station attendant jacket type of punks had now moved on to lecturing me about Charlie Feathers. Six months later, they'd be wearing pocket watches and debating the finer points of the cherry popping daddies. But for our purposes, In the time frame of this story, they were still on the rockabilly stage of their alternative cultural development. We had a name for these guys, the cast of Happy Days. So we see the cast of Happy Days alternately commiserating amongst themselves and staring knives in our direction. Finally, a delegate is selected, stands up, and heads to our table. Hey, we don't think this is very funny. We're completely befuddled, and in our incredulous responses, not funny, come on, we're wearing trash bags. We, uh, we realize it being the 4th of July and all, they think we're trying to make some kind of political statement. And in our psychedelic drunken stupor find this uproariously funny and impossible to explain why we thought this was a good idea. We're just sitting out there at the table so high, we can't stop laughing and praying for this interaction to end so we can get back to our good times astral plane. The rockabilly emissary heads back over to their table, disgustedly muttering how we're making a mockery of this great nation, and they ought to kick all our asses. So in lieu of a rumble, we would have undoubtedly lost in our ridiculous condition. We buy them a round of olies and head back out on our way. So uh, I got in Wednesday afternoon. First place I went, the Neuralux. I started running into old friends before I was even in the door. And that's really, to me, what the Neuralux was all about. It was our little social club for the artists, rockers, misfits, and weirdos in town. And looking out right now, I see a lot of familiar faces I haven't seen. And, you know, some, some people I haven't seen in about 20 years. Thank you very much.
0: You're listening to Cigarettes and Beer, the near-luxe years from StoryFort 2017 on Radio Boise. This is Stray Theatre. We'll be right back. Radio Boise is supported in part by Rug Curator, specializing in the cleaning and restoration of hand-woven pile or flat-woven rugs with an emphasis on restoration of antique rugs. Rug Curator buys old Persian and Navajo rugs and blankets, regardless of size or condition. You can
3: learn more at RugCurator.com or by following them on Facebook.
0: Down beneath the movie theater seat as a baby, the Earth Big was raised by projectionists, ushers, and candy counter girls in free-range theaters throughout the West. Now he spreads sounds of the movies to the world in the wee hours of the morning on KRBX with his show Big Chunks of Plastic, bringing you the best in cinematic sounds from the last 100 years of film, video, and more every Wednesday morning from 3 to 6 a.m.
3: Spring Radiothon was a smashing success thanks to you. For those of you interested in extending the celebration, Radio Boise invites you to Idaho Gives Day with Radio Boise at the Record Exchange on Thursday, May 4th from 5 to 9 p.m. Radio Boise DJs will be there spinning tunes. There'll be raffles, beer, and the chance to hang out and donate to one of your favorite nonprofits in the land. Idaho Gives Day with Radio Boise at the Record Exchange, Thursday, May 4th from 5 to 9 p.m. got a great show
0: coming
1: up next. We've got Elise Thorpe coming, people. So put your hands together, you lazy cowards.
0: Check, 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 check. I think it'll be okay. Yeah. In case you're wondering, this is the real hair. That's what lots of red dye does to my hair. Okay, hey, so I'm the only chick on the bill. It's just like the old days. It's actually, still like that. Um, I don't really play guitar. I play a bass in a band called Sugar Pox. But I find that the bass makes a poor instrument for accompaniment. So. Uh, so uh, apologies to the guitar players I'm going to miss all of the sus fours and add sevens so take a few breaths if that's going to bother you (laughs) it's all open chords from here on out my parents think that I'm in college that's where they think I But I ran away two years to this day, and I ain't never going back. That's from A Song called College by Andy Capps. And I'll play a little bit more of it through my story. Um, Andy and Trent McNair and I played that song in Splinter circa 1993-94. And later on, when Andy and I played in 10th Street Hornets, he brought this song to that band, too. I always thought that song should be the unofficial Neuralux anthem, because for those of us who grew up in the golden age of the 1980s, Boise music scene, the Neuralux really was our college. It was that place that we all entered adult life together. (laughs) I'm supposed to have employment. Get up and shovels once a day Instead I collect welfare And I bum money off Uncle Ray At the time Andy wrote that song, or maybe just before, he had been collecting unemployment. And I was getting by on the occasional parental cash infusion. And when I told Andy, you know my dad's name is Ray. He gave that classic Andy Dad, Andy Deadpan, and said, "Huh, what do you know?" <laughs> so to talk about the neuralx, we have to talk, as Ambrose did earlier, about the scene that it grew out from. Hold on, ankle's not working here. The late 1980s in Boise really were a one in a million time to be a music playing and music loving teenager in Boise. I don't think we've ever had so many all ages venues before or since. There's the brass, brass Lamp, and the Zoo, and the Mardi Gras, and the Crazy Horse. There are shows at BSU even. I'm not trying to list all the places that the like punk bands played, and I was way too afraid to go. I was talking recently to a colleague of mine who's not that many years younger than me, and her music memories of her teenage years involved standing in the alley outside the Neuralux every time Bill Spill played. That sounds magical in its own way, but really meager in comparison to what I experienced. I grew up in a time when I knew I was welcome at the show, when I could show up unaccompanied and find my people there. Things you call yours, I call one in a million. So the Neuralux was like the next thing we could call ours. It was like a graduation present. Here's everything you loved about the teenage scene, now with alcohol. <laughs> so um, I'd been living in Seattle right before the Neuralux opened. Okay, wait, I'm not actually gonna play that because if I do, you'll get it stuck in your head and at like 2 a.m. this morning, you'll be like, all oh, the music I heard tonight and smells like teen spirit is what is in my head, please. And I'll be like, I feel some hatred right now. Um, so I'd been, uh, I moved out of Seattle with my band Hard Shovel and Hard Luck Shovel broke up pretty much the minute we finished unloading the moving truck. this hail of life, you're always wishing me well, cold stone confetti. And can I just take this opportunity while I literally have a platform <laughs> to say that Hard look Shovel probably had 30 or 40 songs, and that's the only one anyone ever remembers, which is fine, except that, can we get the name right? It's not stone cold confetti. The problem with the confetti is not that it's cold. Someone says... My hometown threw me a parade, Uh, confetti and everything. You don't say, but was the confetti warm? That's not a thing. It's cold stone confetti. The problem with confetti is that it's rocks. They're also cold, but that's very much a secondary problem. So (laughs) I didn't go to many shows. Uh, When I lived in Seattle, they were expensive and hard to get to, and I didn't know many people, and the people I didn't know were always working. for my 21st birthday, we went to the Red Robin on Capitol Hill. Please tell me that's so bourgeois that it actually circles around and becomes somehow punk rock again. Uh, <coughs> so the first time I ever went to the Neuralux was the first time I played at the Neuralux. Uh, I had moved back to Boise and come uh, replaced Forrest as the bass player in Splinter. And our first show was at the Neuralux, and before we played, I paced nervously in the back of the room by the windows, and I let everybody think it was stage fright, but it was actually bar fright. I didn't know how to be in a bar. Up until then, my only experience of bars, other than being on stage in one, was being underage in Granny's basement and standing by the door so the door guy could keep an eye on me, by which he meant keep a hand on my ass. This is what one did as a 17-year-old girl who just really wanted to catch the mumbledy peg set. Oh, good. Was that a giggle of rec- recognition for Mom the Peg? <laughs> I wasn't sure if that'd be met by silence or not. okay. Uh, <laughs> so the Neuralux taught me how to be in a bar. Uh, I pity the first generation of bartenders who had to teach us all how to be in a bar. We know that you've been drinking but I don't think we really care. Just Tell no one that we bought you all that beer. Um, I'd always been a bit of a stage lurker, standing right up close to the stage to watch the bands, so much so that at a thin white rope show in another city, I was mistaken for a girlfriend of one of the band members and was awkward and also kind of insulting, like a young woman wouldn't, wouldn't have a reason to stand by the stage, the stage except to keep an eye on her man. But that kind of attitude never happened to me in Boise. So at the NeuroLux, that was like my graduate course in band watching. Well, I'll go to college and I'll learn some big words. And I'll talk real loud, damn right I'll be heard. You'll remember all those guys that said all those big words. I still have learned them in college. And yeah, I'm pretty proud of myself for finding a Modest Mouse song that was strummable and had a, a verse about college. <laughs> uh, so at the Neurolex, <laughs> pre-remodel, I took up residence, stage right. And if you could ignore the traffic to and from the bathroom, which I could, it really was the most glorious view. One could uh, watch the drummer and see the interplay between the band members, hear the things that were set on stage that didn't make it into the microphone. There's a lot of things to love about the remodel, but I really do miss that view. Someday I might go to England. Someday maybe even France. If I could only find myself Uh, The Neurolex even taught us how to dress to go out. I don't know how many hours of my life I've spent trying to figure out what to wear to the Neurolex. This still happens. You might say I can't go on like this, but I'll turn out bored and wrong. How the hell could I get bored with this? I won't live that long. After Andy died and a couple days after his memorial service, some of us met up for an informal service in the foothills. We met up at the Neuralux. Where else would we have met up? It was our alma mater. (coughs) mater. It is our briar patch. Uh, How the hell could we get bored with this? We won't live that long. Thank you.
2: Is "Little Lily
1: Swing" by Tri Tachyon. You've been listening to Stray Theater. Thanks for tuning in.